Yeah. And we're off. And we're off. Oh, we're so off. Oh, I'd like to. I'd like to make sure that you're off. I'd like to even perhaps aid in you being off. Well, you know, it, we if we weren't off, we'd have to get off. So. Is uh, well, maybe I feel like getting myself off would be kind of laborious. What if like you got me off and then I got you off? Does it? That sounds that like a very fair trade. That seems like it's pretty reasonable. That sounds like mutual aid, which mm, is a. Ooh. Uh, concept i've been um, reading about mm-hmm. recently yeah in various literatures nice uh yeah they they have uh they have the complete works of kropotkin on Pornhub. Ooh, interesting uh it's just like somebody not wearing clothes reading it's like a visual <laughs> audiobook just reading anarchic literature mm-hmm. <laughs> just are they are they flaccid or are they no 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 they are they are completely tumescent nice they are Rigid is a rigid is a bamboo stalk. Hmm. Hmm. I feel like That's bamboo stalks actually bend over a lot. They uh they're flexible. They're pretty rigid. They're, I mean they're flexible, but they're very they're, strong. They're flexible in an interesting way. Yes. Much like rigid, my penis. like a piece of chalk. Hmm. Mm. <laughs> it's interesting. Ah. That's mm. that's interesting. How fle- that's uh I've mm. never really uh, never really thought that you know it would be I flexible like in that way. Of my phallus as a metaphor for itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which yeah. might be the best metaphor. Yeah, yep. I love self-similar metaphors. You know, it's like his a, penis a was like his penis. Yeah, but hard. Mm-hmm. That's great. <laughs> that would that would be so good. Like whatever sixth grade you learn about similes, they're like, all right, yeah. Why don't they, uh, Jimmy? Why don't you? Why don't you stand up and give us your example of a simile? And you just his let... penis was hard as a dick. <laughs> No, what was it? His penis was like a penis, but hard. <laughs> Teacher was just in tears, like, brilliant. God. Uh, well, I guess we've got ourselves a, a poet. Mm-hmm. Oh, dang, got ourselves a poet. Looks like we got ourselves a poet here, boys. Her breasts were like two round things on her chest. Hmm. That, uh... That, uh... That I kept I, staring at. That if I were to use... The outer limits of my imagination uh, would be fun to play with. I mean, there there is a very strong sensation when you go, uh, you know, when you when you're studying poetry, mm-hmm. um, I, like the the concept of white male privilege uh-huh. is really put on display by how <laughs> bad much poetry, <laughs> yeah, that yeah, is yeah. considered great really is. Because, uh, you know, I'm not saying all of those poets, like Lord Byron or William Blake or Alfred Lord Tennyson or anyone like that, all of their poetry was bad, mm-hmm. but all those guys wrote some real awful poetry. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. Sure did. Yeah. Yeah, this, uh, yeah. So you want to start this alarmingly sober episode? I thought we had. Oh, oh man, there's this, uh, there's this one, like, truck around here. It's mm-hmm. so good, man. I haven't seen it in a while, but um, the dude's got like it's like first of all, it's got to be it's raised up, of course, and it's like a mm-hmm. maybe uh I don't know how old the truck is, but it's clearly like an older Ford truck or a Chevy or something mm-hmm. that has been like mm-hmm. kept, you know, has been maintained and taken care of and stuff. Um, and it's got uh you know it's it's loud first of all, so they've done some something to make it extra loud. Uh, cow horns on the front of it. You know, mm-hmm. decals on it says you got another thing coming. Uh huh. So that's my favorite car I've ever seen in my life. I wouldn't <laughs> want to own it, but just that guy. Whenever I would see that guy, man, huge smile on my face. Yeah. But so just the. F- a- <laughs> I was just gonna say, just the entire like notion of you, just the idea, the concept of you got another thing coming is my is. Oh man, it makes one one of the things that makes me happiest in the world. It's. It is one of the all-time greatest phrases. Like, whoever first said that <laughs> has vanished into the mists of history, but they oh, really yeah. do deserve more credit than they get. Yeah. Uh, 100%. Um, no, the, 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 the... God, I love stuttering. Uh, the mm-hmm. description of that truck that you just gave. There is a very similar vehicle mm-hmm. with a couple <laughs> alterations that uh. actually mean slightly more effort was put into <laughs> the preposterousness yeah. of it. 
Yeah. Uh, so it's a stretch, like a homemade stretch Cadillac. Whoa. Yeah. Well, you can tell that they just sort of welded more car <laughs> into the middle of it. That's or like great. welded two cars together, <laughs> but like one was cut off right oh, towards man. the back end and one was yeah. cut off sort of towards the front. Um, and put, they're just put together. It's got cow horns on the grill. Oh, nice. It's it's painted orange in a way that suggests it was just sort of painted with a can of spray paint. Yeah. Um, and lifted, but in mm. the in the sort of <laughs> it, it is lifted in a way that would be equivalent to it, say a professional lift job on a car, the kind with hydraulics where you can like uh-huh. control it and stuff. Yeah. Was a an expensive gym, mm. you know, like a nice gym. Mm-hmm. that you could go to this is uh taping paint cans full of rocks to a piece of rebar and using <laughs> that as a bench press <laughs> oh beautiful yeah yeah it nice. is it it makes the rounds uh around the county i've seen it i've seen it actually uh in the county <laughs> south of this one just driving up and down the highway and i'm That's... pretty sure like <laughs> I, i'm pretty sure it's like some sort of redneck cab service where he has this like underground oh, sort of i i don't know but i i drove by where it parks at one point i went down this back road by accident and saw it parked and there was a sign and i can't remember if it said like the hillbilly limo or the redneck limo or something mm-hmm. but yeah. it, there's some business that is associated with this car <laughs> That's great. I mean, you might as well capitalize on that thing because that's, you know, it's it's one of a kind. Oh, it is the, I think it is the truest expression of the free market I've ever seen. (laughs) You know, besides pictures of Vietnam getting napalmed. Yeah, uh, I mean, I was going to say either that or if this was, uh, if it was like, if you could somehow buy and sell shares of that car. (laughs) You probably can. I mean, I... Yeah, I'm sure if you just buy him replacement parts, he lets you have that amount of ownership <laughs> over it. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be great. Yeah, there are some, uh, oh, man, there are just some amazing, it's, it's, it, it, the perfect vision of America is just driving down a road in a rural area mm-hmm. and going by a bungalow, you know, a mid-70s yeah. or even mid 80s isn't even better you know mid 80s built bungalow so it has the same amount of character as a uh the sliding doors at a best buy Mm. um you know just just this house that fell out of a catalog into the middle of a piece of property yeah somewhere two roads off the highway Mm -hmm. and you see this shop attached to it that has a homemade or sort of the local machinist made it sign yeah. for a barbecue business maybe uh-huh. or something along those lines um and i feel like you can see that anywhere in america but like you just are driving down that kind of a road and you just see this house that was made between 30 and 40 years ago built mm-hmm. between 30 and 40 years ago and and then just you know some attempt to capitalize on something yeah. they have yeah. that is just you know it 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 is it is such a combination of the parts of the human spirit that you want to laud and the capitulation of those parts of the human spirit to the society we live in which is utter trash <laughs> yep 100% but you know especially cuz like if you go to any of those places you're either likely to have like some of the best like barbecue ever or just like mm-hmm. very mediocre experiences or get shot like, or get shot. <laughs> or get shot but like Nine times out of ten, there's like some very, very creative, low budget setup that you're like, wow, that's that's pretty clever. I mean, it's like there's a ninety five percent chance of this place burning down if you don't adjust that like in the next year, you know? Yeah. But uh, hey, man, that's that's pretty funny. Yeah. And uh, people are people are clever, and uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, and this it might be. Uh, yeah, I don't know what the. I don't want to go too deep into the, the what my perception of the demographics of that are because I don't mm-hmm. want to make you know broad assumptions about stuff. But um, I will say broadly that sort of perception of the achievability of the American dream mm-hmm. aligns with uh, politics. I don't necessarily agree with. I'll, I'll go with that. Mm. Uh, you know, it's. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That when when people talk about the rural urban divide, mm-hmm. um, there there are a lot of there are a lot of claims made about um, <laughs> mm-hmm. 
shall we say the inner city which are uh, mm-hmm. and i'm i'm couching that in that media outlets used that term as yeah. code for something and there is a there is a i don't i don't know much about the reality of that because i've never lived in a big city mm-hmm. and i you know i i I've, I've heard that term and i've heard that term used a lot and i and then eventually you know was enlightened as to what uh what was racistly being uh, coded into that mm-hmm. and then by you know by the same token sort of went oh so when people say rural what they mean is a thing that i do actually recognize mm-hmm. and it in a very like complicated way because i i know people like that mm-hmm. does terrify me <laughs> because yeah. uh those are the, yeah yeah man rural america is a it is a it is america Yep, it's a place. Mm-hmm. <laughs> let me let me let me say it this way: lot of lot of American flags flying outside of those types of houses, right? Oh, oh, oh. oh yeah, yeah. Not all in the classical color scheme of the American flag. Nope. Yeah, sort of just uh, <laughs> you know, maybe not all even the current flags that are flown. Yeah. You know, yeah. perhaps yeah. they're history buffs. Yeah, yeah. Perhaps. Um, uh, yeah. I don't know why we're trying to be like politely coded about, you know, fucking white supremacists who have small businesses. <laughs> I don't exactly what? I don't know what you're talking about. about. They're not they're not people whose feelings I really care about. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's just funny to be oblique. <laughs> That's our main audience. Didn't Yeah. You? I know, I've been hiding the uh mm-hmm. you know, all the all the data from you. Mm, yeah. But uh look at the analytics, you know. We are being listened to by a it, it's almost like looking at a map of uh, gerrymandered districts. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so rude awakening for cork taint. Yeah. Oh God. <laughs> well, if you think, uh, you know, do you think either I'm going to share those analytics with you or anything that our audience is going to change? You got another thing coming. Hey, there it is. And for the, uh, the sweet, innocent audience member, who is wondering what the fuck is going on? Uh, we are talking today about business structure. This is what happen. <laughs> this is what happens when we aren't focused on wine. Yeah. We're currently being like dazzled by wine in front of us. Or disgusted. Dazzled or disgusted. Dazzled and disgusted. Dazzled, dazzled or disgusted. And disgusted. Dazzled or disgusted, and it's just like uh, just like you open up a. It's just, <laughs> it's just a, a game show where. You either open it up, you open this box up, and it's just like a box full of, like, crumpled up shiny tinfoil, you know? Mm-hmm. Or you open the box, and it's just cat vomit. That's that's it. <laughs> it's a game show that is just, like, real live uh, Reddit 50-50. Yeah. I don't even know what that is, but it kind of makes sense what that is. Y- yeah, no, it's just r slash 50-50 was this... I don't... I think it still exists, but it was, it was definitely better when Reddit was younger, mm-hmm. where... You would you would go on it and every um, thumbnail would be like pixelated out. Oh yeah. Or just when it would it would just have the like <laughs> locked image over the thumbnail. Yeah. And the title would be one thing slash other thing, mm-hmm. and and one thing would be like um, adorable puppy, and the mm-hmm. other thing would be man literally dying. <laughs> and you know you'd click on the image and it would either be an adorable puppy or uh you know a, a man getting run over by like a tractor or something wow and, that's yeah yeah and what was so crazy like you the that it was a game <laughs> was that uh you know it was it was in that moment of reddit where like you would do reddit with other people where like someone who understood reddit would log on to reddit and be like guys check this out and you yeah. all stand there looking at like the 50 50 page trying to guess what the image was going to be of it's like yeah yeah hole straight through a hand or uh <laughs> the best high five ever and then you mm-hmm. click on it and it's a gif of two people running jumping swinging their arms in full 360 arcs and then slapping hands together mm-hmm. um you know or you know and and the game was like trying to based on how the title was written perceive whether or not a thing probably existed as yeah. an image mm-hmm. um it was like a classic thing was like uh really nice tits or gangrenous feet <laughs> <laughs> and you click on it it would just be like some picture of boobs mm. 
But I, some of the most disturbing things I've ever seen were on that particular subreddit. Um, yes. Yeah. Images that just uh, never, never come out of your head. Yeah, no. Nope. Um, the hole through a hand one, particularly. <laughs> Woo! Um, it's just, you know, it's 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 just exactly what it sounds like. And it's just, like, <laughs> no, God, no. Oh, no. Just. Uh, why? Imagine someone's hand, draw a circle on that, then remove that circle. That's. Yeah. Yep. And then discover how much you didn't know about the anatomy of a hand. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Nice. But the uh, the fucking um, oh uh, that that just like that we are minutes away from that as a culture where there's just a game show where it's you know uh, fifty fifty and then you know it's just it's just family feud basically except the, the there's just a big like two captions up on the screen. Yeah. a big image that's a question mark mm-hmm. and you know you uh you go up and you know it's like all right you're in the hot seat 50 50 is it a kitten licking a seal's nose or a stripper queefing in a guy's face <laughs> you know and it's family friendly obviously so it's you know yeah yeah all it's, the it's blurred out parts you know the uh you know the the strip club are blurred out but yeah yeah yep yeah well, that sounds pretty cool. Yeah. I'd, I'd like, Obviously, I'd like it's to... hosted by Steve Harvey, and you know, every yeah, time, kind of... every time it's the inappropriate image, it's just him going, "What?" Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Sounds like a winner. You should pitch it. I mean, Netflix will pick up anything these days. Yeah. But Rick and Morty's already covered that, so we don't need to. What we should cover, and what would also be a great. Um, I don't know if game show, like, I think it would be more fun as, like, an Office-esque television show. Mm-hmm. Um, would be uh, an Office-esque um, sort of show called The Distributors. Mm. And it's yeah. about uh, people who work for a beverage distribution company. That would actually be pretty good. I think that's it, a great I, idea. I think it would be, yeah. Because you could have, like, funny recurring characters. Like, you know, imagine the sort of collection of wine store owners you could have. in. The- oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, one of the people is a sales rep, and it's just that's just that's just asking for just just bit ideas. Yeah, like yeah, that's yeah, literally when, it. When you have the warehouse guy who's just like you know just kind of over it, you know, uh, um, a la Daryl from The Office. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, you have uh, you have the van drivers, the guys who actually go pick up the wines, or mm-hmm. and then you have the trips to like uh, say so. So you'd have to set it where where so it would totally buy into the coastal elite like la versus new york thing right oh so yeah, yeah it's got to be either in la or new york obviously yeah. you got to put it in new york because mm-hmm. i mean or you know what you could set this in portland you could set it in portland Oregon. Mm-hmm. not now because that city is under martial rule um but uh you know at, by the time this episode comes out that'll just be a <laughs> be true <laughs> yeah yeah I mean, um, or it could be like a like a distributor like like a big distributor like rosenthal or something yeah oh, which would or, also uh, be good okay yeah. so yeah so, so, so you, but, you can do both do but don't most importers uh freight stuff in over uh, on a on um on boats or do, uh, do they fly stuff in no, I think I think it's 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 probably freighted then. That would be much. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, it's probably freighted then. Flying in would be so expensive. Yeah, it's yeah. just so much weight. Which yeah. is why I think it'd be fun if you could have like periodically episodes where they go down to the wharf. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and deal oh, with you get boat the sea captain and stuff. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Oh yes, you have yeah. to have the sea captain. The sea captain. It's just yep. a just an insane man who wears nothing but sweaters and and uh, and those those classic fisherman's hats oh yeah no he's the most like like just uh hackneyed sea captain yeah he's just like it was yeah it was a blow out there you gotta pipe all the time yeah yeah no that's gotta be it was a hard passing this time yeah 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 and then the rest of the crew are all just like yeah so could you sign this uh this release form uh we need to transfer like we need you to sign off on this shipping container otherwise we can't you know we can't get the excise tax uh uh well, the, not the exit. The import tax. We can't get the import tax ratified. Can you just sign? He's like, you just sign I tell you, I saw, I saw the whale on the horizon. I saw, I saw it, but, but I saw it's. What is the term? Fuck. Shit. God damn it. Hmm. Uh, I saw it's blowhole. Wait, no. What is it called when they they blow shit out their blowhole? 
Oh, uh, oh, fuck. What is that called? Spiral? Uh, I don't remember. I can't think of it. I don't know. Yeah. What we're saying is there would be, like, some section of the show that was just jokes about Moby Dick. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, yep. but yeah, so, so, so what would be some other elements of this, uh, of this, uh, this what, the show? idea that we're going to develop with Netflix as soon as COVID is over and we can get, you know, back to making mediocre television for the internet? Oh, um, I got a couple real bad ones that I'm not gonna, I'm not Ooh. gonna elaborate on. Uh, uh. So there'd be the, all the restaurants? Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you mean aspects of this show? Oh yeah, I was I was using this as an angle into talking about distribution and how distribution works. Oh, I was just uh, I was thinking about other like shows that we could pitch to Netflix. That would oh, be like just oh, dumb yeah. game shows. But um, no, okay, no. So, uh, yeah, what yeah. other aspect of the show? Yeah. Uh, yeah. What else? I mean, so restaurants. You so distributors. Uh, you know, they're the ones who actually sell the wines to restaurants. So yeah. Um, the like restaurants and wine shops. I imagine I have different relationships with distributors and, um, I don't know, uh, maybe you have more information about that. Like restaurants can be, uh, pretty interesting in how they buy wine. Uh, there's a, I, I, like, I don't know a huge amount about it, but there is a difference in restaurants that have, um, a lot of access to wine and restaurants that have access to a cellar space. So some restaurants have like their own cellars that are pretty mm-hmm. extensive. Um, yeah. And their relationships to distributors are very different from uh, restaurants that, like, for example, a chain restaurant or, you know, like, like a, I don't even know, like a, like slightly nicer chain than, say, a Olive Garden. Um, uh, um, Bubba Gump Shrimp. Um, P.F. Chang's. <laughs> yeah. They're, they just have a distributor that they're buying all their wine through. Yeah. That, and, and that distributor will come up with their wine list for them, basically. Yeah. Uh, the same thing can happen at certain supermarkets. Um, mm-hmm. where like supermarkets just like, yeah, we, you know, we work through this distributor, they show up, they give us, they, they come up with our, our wine selection for us and then they just deliver that. Same's true with beer. Um, a lot of, a lot of distribution companies deal with beer and wine. The thing that gets weird about it is, and there are a lot of states that like lump together, but mm-hmm. basically every state has its own laws about liquor and how liquor yeah. is to be sold and how distributors are to operate. So there are some distributors that can operate in multiple states and other states where every distribution company just exists within that state. Um, and it, yeah, studying all, like learning about all of that is a nightmare that there, like an entire job for wineries is compliance with liquor laws, state liquor law, mm-hmm. and uh, getting your license to sell to distributors in certain states. Um, because the three-tier system is that you, like you can produce something, then you have to sell it to a distributor, and then you have to sell it to someone else, and that exists in a lot of places. There are exceptions to that. There are situations where a producer can sell it either by themselves or to a point of sale, like for example, a, uh, a supermarket directly. But those rules, those rules only exist in certain states. Like not every, you're not allowed to do that all the time. And you're mm-hmm. not allowed to do it between states. Like you can't have a direct relationship where someone from your, uh, there might be exceptions to this state given a couple of states. I don't know. But say you were in the mind to start a winery, it would be good to start from the assumption that you can't just drive with cases of wine to some other state and drop them off at a supermarket that's then going to sell them. Yeah. So. Yeah, the distributor is the interstitial. They're they're the middleman. They are the Dunder Mifflin of the wine world. But within your state, within so your like, state, you can circum circumvent that. Yeah, yeah. So I get within yeah, your do you state, want... you can you can make wine and then have a relationship where you go and and there are some states where I don't think this is true, uh, because certain states have very draconian laws. But um, there are a lot of states where you can make something uh, and then drive it to a supermarket and drop it off and then the supermarket can sell it to consumers yeah. do you, you want do you want to just do like a real quick oh like before we go any further into the details of the three-tier system just oh yeah out- outwardly state what the three-tier system is oh yeah uh producer distributor retail outlet yeah so yeah so yes. if you're if a lot of people don't know that but because if you're not in the like the, in the industry you don't really really think about it much you just go to the wine store and buy it yeah or whatever and you know um but yeah, if you make a wine in Washington and you want to sell it in uh, a wine shop in California, you can't just you can't just mail it to the wine shop. 
Yeah. You gotta just go through. Call FedEx chicken. up. Yeah. 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 Just buy a whole fuckload of stamps. Oh yeah. Yep. Just go cover to the, stamps. Cover the outside of the box and stamps. That'd be real. Could you? Can you do that? No. Uh no, no. There are so that's part of compliance. There are some so wineries employ somebody who will work in compliance so that that person can you know if they have a, a wine club they can box up wine and get the proper paperwork to send it directly from one state to another if those states have laws that allow for that so you can yep. as a winery ship wine directly to an individual shipping it to a store is another thing so yep. no no I'm, i mean can you just put a whole bunch of stamps on a box oh well i mean in theory, I guess you could uh, to get a shipping label. Usually, that's included in like the shipping label that you pay for, yeah. like FedEx or something. That's why you. But I mean, like if FedEx. you just like if you weigh it, whatever, calculate calculate that shit and just do it yourself. I think the USPS, mm-hmm. for liability reasons, does not ship alcohol. Yeah. No, right? I mean, just if I have if I want to just mail a brick. Oh put yeah. Put in a box. Just cover yep. the box in stamps. Yep. Yeah, nice. Didn't know. No, yeah, that that's uh, you just because after a certain point, it's just based on weight. Yeah, yeah. So you nice. you like. Do I even need a box? Like, could I just mail put like a sticker of address on the on the brick and cover the rest of it in stamps? Yes, I believe so. <laughs> I think a I think a forever stamp oh, is yeah. good up to thirteen ounces, hmm. and I don't know if it's just like basic arithmetic where it's like every forever stamp gives you another 13 ounces but that'd be great man i might Mm. have to try that i i don't i think like i'm pretty sure that's how that works man Hmm. that's some research but anyway yeah so i I could be totally wrong but yeah yeah uh okay so yeah it's worth the shot if anyone out there is a big fan of this show um you can send a brick to us at 1600 pennsylvania avenue Hmm. Washington, D.C. I don't know. I have the zip code off the top of my head. Uh, yeah, I don't either. Yeah. Is it 1600 Pennsylvania <laughs> Avenue? I think so. Okay. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so there's producer, distributor, and then whatever, seller, be it a yeah. retailer or a restaurant or whatever. Point of sale. Um, POS. Right. Um, so yeah, for domestic markets, that's how it works. Between, between states... You need to go through a distributor if you're selling, if you're making your wine in Michigan, I, I think you can just sell it to a wine shop in Michigan, same thing. Uh, I mean, again, that's probably going to vary, like, state to state, but I would assume that that's generally how it works. And also. Things get very complicated in states like Utah. Um, yeah, or like Pennsylvania, I think. Yeah, where... Pennsylvania has wild laws about all this Yeah. Stuff. And but, uh, fun, yeah. fun to note, a lot of these laws were heavily influenced by um, hooch smugglers mm-hmm. uh, post-prohibition because a lot of people were making a whole lot of money smuggling booze around the country and selling it to speakeasies and whatnot. And when prohibition was ending, when when the, the amendment was getting put forward to end prohibition, um, those entities were powerful enough that they, you know, like that it's where like and I, I'm not I'm not good on the history of this. I've just been it's been pointed out to me and it's something that uh, I've been meaning to research more and I'm sure there are some really good books out there uh, that I should have looked up so that I could recommend them to people. But just mm. as a general topic it's worth looking into. But like the the, the mob and um, organized crimes relationship to just alcohol. Yeah. Uh influenced a lot of laws and distribution structures that came mm-hmm. out of uh, the post-prohibition moment so yeah uh, and nascar actually apparently yeah. oh yeah 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 um because smuggling booze meant you needed to have a car that you could hide the booze in so you'd have like a false bottom in your trunk or something mm-hmm. put a bunch of moonshine in there or whatever whiskey whatever it was uh, and then you know you had to make it look like your car didn't have a couple hundred pounds of liquid in it so you would beef up the suspension and then when they weren't uh actually moving booze around they would race against each other because they'd souped up their cars to the point that they were like you know better than a normal car would be mm-hmm. uh and that just sort of continued evolving into nascar there you go is my understanding of it um again don't have a book to cite don't know where to send you to learn more about that but uh, but Google we exists. are sponsored by nascar Vroom vroom, motherfuckers. So, NASCAR, drink and drive. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, 
it's yeah. bored by NASCAR. Yeah. Cork Taint. Uh, no official uh, official affiliation to NASCAR.com. Um, <laughs> I know it's not safe, but goddamn, I do love Fig Newtons. <laughs> I know it's not safe, but God, I do love saying the N-word. Brought, oh, not, no. Not, not brought to you by NASCAR. <laughs> but probably Bobby. would not surprise you if it was brought to you by NASCAR. No. Yeah. I mean, the fact that they made a big deal about taking down the Confederate flags is uh, <laughs> very funny. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so, uh, yeah, my guy. We got so fucking... So, that's distribution structures. Yes. Wait, wait, but that is, uh, it's domestic. What about international? Well, uh, so then, ooh, mm-hmm. uh, well, do you want to, uh, illuminate the idea of an importer? For the audience, because I need to go get a phone charger so that I can keep having this conversation. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. So, uh, importers, uh, a couple famous ones are uh, Kermit Lynch, uh, Rosenthal. There are, there's one in uh, Berkeley that's really good, uh, North Berkeley Imports. Anyway, so basically what they do is uh, um, they will go and find somebody's wines. And then, like Kermit Lynch did this a bunch where... You go through, find like the the lesser name producers, and in in whatever Beaujolais or Burgundy or wherever you know Italy doesn't matter where, um, and be like, hey, I really like your wine. Uh, I would like to sell it in the United States, and then they make some sort of contract with them and base of you know, whether it's specifics. I don't I don't know much about like contracts like from importers or whatever. Um, whether they like you know I don't know if it's like whatever we'll buy this much from you and then that's it or if they get a reflection of sales or whatever I don't know. Um, but uh, that's generally the idea. And then places like Current Lynch in Berkeley where they will import the wine and then they also have a shop where they just sell it right there. But to further confuse matters, Kermit Lynch is also a distributor. So if you own a wine shop in Florida or something, say, um, you, I'm assuming, I don't know specifically how it works in Florida. Again, you can't like, if you're not, I'm not from Florida. I don't know exactly all the fucking laws in Florida, but it's annoying where you have to generally know like which states are a pain in the ass and which states are easy or whatever. So um, let's just assume Florida is easy or whatever. Um, if you want a, a wine imported by Kermit Lynch in Florida, you buy it from Kermit Lynch, and they act as a distributor. So they import the wine and distribute it. Um, so then you can sell it. So you can't buy the wine directly from that French person and sell it in there. But they can because they're an importer. And I don't know, like, if you... If it's, like, being an importer and a retailer like them and a distributor. Like, I have no idea what all that paperwork is like. It's probably a shitload. But um, I it would be interesting. I've actually thought about that a lot. Because I don't know if you... Because, like, does does... Are, are they technically, like, are they distributing to themselves? Or is that just, can they just sort of bypass the distribution as an importer? I don't know. I don't know how that works. But um, that's how wines, uh, that's how they work. And so um, certain, like, importers will have, like, uh, um, like exclusivity, kind of, uh, with, like, producers. So let's say, um, I don't know, pick some, like, the, like, Rosenthal has, like, the Chateau Simone wines, and, uh, Martins has the, uh, Rias wines, so, like, those are really highly sought after wines, so if you want to get those wines as a wine shop owner or restaurateur or whatever, you have to get them through those, like, like, so just because you, like, if you want a Chateau Simone, but you don't want to buy it from Rosenthal, you can't be like, hey, Kermit Lynch, why don't you get some of those, and they're like, no, we can't, that's not how this works, um, so, yeah, I guess that's just, that's generally how that, that process works. It's strange. It's, it's a huge fucking nightmare. Yeah. So. It's it, deeply it's, political. It, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just, it's just, uh, it's a real pain in the ass. Cause if you were like, oh, wow, I love this French producer. Then it's, it's like, like if you love, uh, if you love a producer, then, um, let's say you go to your local wine shop and you're like, oh, I love, uh, Toulon champagne. I love it. And then you're like, could you get it for me? And they're like, uh, maybe no, because if they're just like, yeah, we don't have a relationship with that distributor or, or, or whatever, we don't have an account open with them or we're just like, we don't want to do that whole fucking thing. We'll just be like, no, we can't get that. Or sometimes if it's like allocated stuff, you literally can't get it. Like they, they don't, they will not receive an allocation of it because there's uh, a restricted quantity um, that each, even if you do get allocated those wines, you might only get like six bottles of it or something. So that allocation is a whole separate thing, but um well, an allocation. It's, oh, sorry. No, I was gonna say just like the 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 distance set between like consumer and producer is very intentional. Yeah, yeah. And the more you get into 
like being interested in the industry or whatever, it's like pretty, it's, it's like obvious. Like there, there are some, fortunately in like the U S like you can, you can buy from certain, like there's some producers in Oregon. I really love and they, uh, or Washington or in California and stuff that, uh, like they don't, like they don't distribute out to where I, I am. So I can't get those wines unless I buy it from them and they have to send it to me, but I can't just go to my local shop and buy it because they don't distribute. Some places don't distribute at all. If they're small enough and they don't want to deal with sales, they just want to sell it. They just want to sell all the stuff from the winery, from the tasting room, whatever. They can choose to do that. Um, so it's yeah. all, yeah. Well, so another thing about that whole system, uh, when you sell to a distributor as a winery, you sell to them. So, and this is something that I, I don't know what the general, so like, you don't learn about this and this kind of thing, I think, enough in school. Or I didn't. I don't know. But mm-hmm. but I think most people, by the time they're an adult, have some concept of the idea of, like, what buying at wholesale means, mm-hmm. which means that is the price that a retail outlet buys whatever the product is at, right? Yeah. Uh, so, say you're a, you're a supermarket, you're buying apples, supermarket pays wholesale, consumer pays retail. Yeah. The thing about the system we're talking about is because the distributor also has to make money on all of this they don't pay the producer wholesale they buy at what's called freight on board or fob which it tends to be so wholesale is a kind of fuzzy number below retail and it can float a little bit but it's Mm -hmm. usually about two-thirds of retail freight on board is pretty solidly understood to be half of retail Hmm. so if you have a retail price for a wine and you're talking to a distributor they're expecting to be able to get it for about half of what you're saying the retail price is Hmm. um and then they'll go and sell it however they want um to whoever they want like that's the other thing about that whole system is you have no um you have no real say in where the wine you make gets represented once you're selling to either an employer or distributor yeah Yeah. Yeah. if you want it to be in certain places you have to go to certain distributors because Mm -hmm. certain supermarkets or certain restaurants have relationships with specific distributors so yeah um it's true you know it's kind of the inverse of the importer thing where it's like if you want Mm -hmm. certain wines you have to go to certain importers if you want your wines in certain restaurants you have to go through certain distributors that Mm -hmm. you know supermarkets probably a better example of that but another thing that producers will run into is they'll be like well i want to sell i want to sell you my wine i got good wine and the supermarket or restaurant or whatever will be like well we just go through columbia's book like columbia just sets our book up for us Mm -hmm. whatever columbia is a huge distribution company in the northwest um Mm. and yeah like if you are not with columbia they're not going to take you on because like they don't want to deal with some independent thing it's messy books they don't like they have a simple billing system someone else does the inventory thing they don't have to worry about anything if you show up saying like i've got this thing it's like that's tricky uh breweries there's one of the things that helps breweries uh and independent breweries self-distribute is that kegs are very easy things to track and talk about Mm. in inventories um they're not fuzzy uh bottles get weird because of glass sales and stuff and like there's Mm -hmm. more there's more loss with bottles of wine than there is with a keg of beer yeah um which is another factor on the on the restaurant end of things um but uh a oh what was the thing i was trying to remember about um so there's the pricing model of distribution when it comes to freight on board and retail and wholesale and how all of that works Mm -hmm. the other thing that it gets tricky about uh all of that is domestic distributors working with domestic wineries can buy wine all year round but because of how Mm. a lot of wine is sold to importers being you know sent over on um on freighters uh Mm -hmm. and usually needing to be sent over in quantity to fill shipping containers and you know um make it worthwhile for everyone involved there is more of a a relationship with the timing of when wine is ready to be moved so you know there will be a bottling and then there'll be a timing of when it can get moved and then when it shows up and the quantities that it shows up in so Mm -hmm. distributors have to have that paid for or they have to be able to pay for it at port you can't let wine leave a port that's if it's not been paid for there has to be paperwork showing that somebody owns it because it's booze somebody owns it on u.s soil so those payments have to be made a lot of distributors 
leverage their domestic book unless they have better you know a, a better revenue stream and it's more organized a, th- a thing that will happen is a distributor will leverage its domestic book where there might be a 60-day window for checks mm-hmm. or payment they'll leverage that to make their payments on their international stuff mm. so you you get wine from your domestic uh uh providers sell it and then you wait to f- to uh, it's, it's just floating a check. Like, you just wait to yeah. make your payment to the producer on that. So, like, dis- the distribution model, in almost all cases, hurts... In all, in all cases, the distribution model hurts producers because you're always making less wine on... Or, sorry, you're always making less money on your wine than mm-hmm. um, you potentially could because the consumer expectation of what your wine costs is generally consistent. Yeah. Uh, but... As soon as you're giving it to someone else to sell, you have to let them make some money on it too. And importers and uh, distributors tend to be the place, importers in particular, tend to be the place where scarcity is leveraged into um, is leveraged into profit. So mm. if you are the bottleneck of a certain wine into the U.S., and there's not a lot of that wine in Europe anyways, then you get to do whatever you want to with price on the other end because you've already bought it at an agreed upon price from the producer but then you know they're they they probably won't be checking that closely on what you're selling it to restaurants or wine Mm -hmm. shops for and then they need they need to make money too and a a, like thing to keep in mind about like a restaurant and this is Mm -hmm. what i've been told and i think it's based on wholesale um but the classic restaurant markup is three three times times yeah Yeah, so they're buying it wholesale from a distributor they're just tripling the price Mm -hmm. and restaurants honestly i don't i i don't lament them doing that because like if they've you know well i mean it's it's kind of annoying with bottles but uh the classic statement about glass pours is if a restaurant has a glass pour they either need that wine to be selling well enough that they're not you know opening um, one bottle of it a night, pouring one glass, and then that bottle isn't getting a glass poured out of it for two more nights, and it's just going bad. Mm-hmm. They, uh, for to be a glass pour at a restaurant, you have to have a good wine that's consistent, that's not super expensive, because they need to be able to set the glass at a price where if they just sell two glasses of it, they've made the money back on the bottle. So when you look at, at that's my understanding is if you look at the glass pour. Um, Price. Yeah, a, a glass pour is usually like by the gl- the cost of the glass is usually the co- wholesale. Oh no, that's how it is. They they yeah, make yeah. money on the second glass. That so even if they is. just pour one glass of it, they've covered deep. they've covered what they paid. Yeah, that's yeah. it. So they need to make they need to pour two glasses to make money on a bottle. Is the mm-hmm. uh, is the thing. And you and a good uh, a restaurant that's not being tight fisted with their with their wine will get four glasses yeah. four glass pours out of a bottle someone being vaguely tight-fisted will get five yeah yeah so if you're gonna go out to eat at a restaurant and you and a couple other people are all like oh let's get a couple of glasses of wine whenever just get a bottle yeah always always look just, at the bottle list if you're with yeah. people yeah and you're like and if, oh the bottle's expensive not, but get a cocktail you know, <laughs> what do you say yeah and if you're not get, get a cocktail <laughs> just get a cocktail yeah because if you're like if if four people all buy like whatever a glass of the wine it's like you just you could have just got a fucking bottle and the bottle list is always more interesting than the glass pour list. Oh, yeah. That's, that's yeah. not, like, a revelation. Like, people, mm-hmm. anyone who's been to a restaurant will, a good, a, like, a decent restaurant. Like, there are some restaurants that have pretty, like, just bad wine lists generally. But, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, there, there are so many restaurants out there that might have, like, two or three options for reds and, like, three or four options for whites mm-hmm. in glass pours. And then, you know... 50 to 70 bottles yeah. listed and that's yeah. that, that's not super uncommon yeah yeah um oh yeah this is so this could actually um i don't know if you want to talk more about just continue to talk more about distributors because i mm-hmm. think this this would be a good tie-in to eventually make our way over to wine shops mm-hmm. do you want to do you want to merge that way or the, the more you want to talk yeah. about with distributors i think okay. we've i think we've covered sort of the like mental nexus of distributors okay so yeah so one thing that a lot of people don't know and i didn't know until I started, like, getting into wine, is that you can bring your own wine to a restaurant. Mm-hmm. You can bring your own wine to a restaurant, and because because the markup is three times wholesale, most wine shops are, like, 
but uh, they they multiply. They, what is it? They they it's like one and a half for uh, one and two thirds or something like that is, is the price yeah. adjustment for. So it, you save much more money if you just buy the at you know laundry than you at the restaurant. But most restaurants will charge a what is called a corkage fee, which is maybe f- uh, like a price per bottle. Um, that they will rate. charge you for bringing your own uh, for bringing your own wine to the restaurant. So maybe some of them yeah. are like 15, 10, 15, 20. You know, I think if, if they're a very normal corkage. Yeah, if they're fucking you, it'll be like like thirty or more. Is like they clearly do not want yeah. you to bring your fucking wine in. Yeah, you know what I mean. So um, it's like, all right, yeah. well, if if you're gonna buy a bottle of wine, just and you're like, oh, I'm gonna, I want to bring a bottle to dinner. Just be prepared to tack like conservatively tack $25 onto the bottle of wine mm-hmm. and think about how much it's going to cost you and then think about, all right, how much would that cost at the, if I were to buy this at the restaurant, if they even have it at the restaurant. Yeah. Um, now, some restaurants have very cool wines that you won't necessarily see in that many shops in your area. So it's, 100%, you know, yeah. We're not saying don't look at the wine list at restaurants or don't buy wine from restaurants. No, no, not at all. As a matter of fact, sometimes I will and have done that go onto a restaurant's website before I go eat there. I always look at menus and stuff before I go to to eat somewhere, but look, a lot of times they have their wine list online and you can be like, oh shit, they have that? Awesome. And sometimes I'll go to a restaurant, like just just specifically because they have this, like this, a couple couple of cool bottles of wine. And then of course I'm not going to bring a bottle. Yeah. Yeah. A great example um, of that is uh, the French Laundry. Uh-huh. Their, their wine list on their website is hilarious. It's humongous. It? Yeah, it's so big. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Any, uh, if you if you look most like, uh, well, they're whatever, like, like three star Michelin restaurant. Like, yeah, I was gonna say most like two, three Michelin, two or three Michelin star restaurants have like really, really long wine lists because yeah. they. I mean, a lot of them have that budget, and like you were saying before, they do have sellers. Yeah. So they can maybe they don't maybe they can they can afford to buy something whatever more obscure or they, or they might have a vintage of something that you're not gonna be able to find in a shop anymore and the oh, yeah. price for it yeah, might yeah. be obscene but yeah. if you want to drink that wine it might be the only way to drink it in you know in your state in some yeah. instances probably yeah what I'll do is usually like. If I'm looking at a wine list or whatever, I'll just go through and I immediately am just looking for like, all right, what's what? <laughs> just come on, like under one hundred dollars immediately. It's like oh, all right, yeah, I rule out sure, everything yeah. else, and it's like okay, now I can look at things that are like actually like reasonable, you know? Yeah. Because let's see, if if uh, let's say if there was something like ninety dollars, right? That means that they bought it for uh, they bought it for thirty. So mm-hmm. then at a restaurant, I mean at a, a wine shop, you could find that for maybe about fifty bucks. Oh, um, you know, a funny story I ha- actually have about markup that I've been meaning to tell you and I keep forgetting. Mm-hmm. Uh, that time we went to um, to Nick's back room and you bought that Italian bottle of Cabernet Sauvignon. Uh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it, yeah. Uh, I found that in a wine shop um, mm-hmm. a few weeks after that, a couple weeks after that. And I think it was the same price. That's crazy. <laughs> just a shout out to Nick's for having not having a markup on it that was they they had like a normal like wine shop style markup on it i'm sure uh yeah which like is because they're they're a really cool like industry focused restaurant um, yeah yeah no their prices are incredible yeah so we shout got that, out to what them did, what do we get we got like a brick house shard there too yeah 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 fantastic bottle of wine Su- again super i'm pretty delicious. sure exactly what we would have paid in the supermarket for. yeah, <laughs> yeah. no that yeah. one i forgot about that that cat that was really good it was good, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, that you know, and that was so. Uh, it was another funny story. I, I was gonna remark on a, a a burger joint that was open in town here for a while. That I think their normal corkage fee was five bucks, <laughs> and then That's great. during happy hour it was five cents. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, those places are the best. Like, yeah, and look, really I understand. Cool. Like, if you have a cellar full of fucking wine, and you need to move it, like. Yeah, I understand you want to discourage people slightly from wanting to like just like bring just bring their own wine. In some places, like yeah. if you look at Michelin star restaurants, or whatever, they're like or not even Michelin's, but at certain places in the menu, it's just like yeah, no, if you, it's like oh yeah, they'll say like oh, it's corkage fees exist. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, but I mean they'll, they'll say like okay, whatever, thirty, thirty-five, forty dollar corkage fee for the first three bottles, and then yeah. after that, it's like a hundred dollars for cor- for each bottle or something like that. Or they'll say like thirty for. We'll say like yeah. twenty for a bottle and like fifty for mags or something like that. Yeah, because they Which just is the they don't want you to bring. Which the reverse of what you'd expect. Like yeah, like, yeah, no, it's you are you know 
if you're getting tipsy and want to open more bottles, they want you to be buying their shit. <laughs> right, right. So it's, uh, yeah. But, um, yeah, no, but the wine lists are cool. The only thing is that, like, like I like I like doing that. I like looking at somewhere online. Uh, the list online, because a lot of places, they're, like, they're pretty on it. And they know what they have. And they know how much it costs. And they, if they get a good deal on it, they're going to acknowledge the fact that they got a good deal on it. And most times, they're not going to, like, sell it for cheap. They're going to be like, oh, wow. And we're going to make four times the money rather than three times, you know. Yeah. Um, but there are places like uh, like the one you just mentioned and a couple others that you'll find where that like if you want to have a cool bottle of wine and you go if you want to have a cool bottle of wine at a reasonable price and go out to dinner, you're just gonna go there and it's you're going to become go-to's and uh, then you'll bring you'll just bring your wine to other places and you'll just sort of bite the bullet on the whatever the, the corkage fee but like I, I tend to I don't know I like to support places that like give a shit about you. <laughs> Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And, no, uh, the, the the intention of a restaurant is not a hard thing to figure out. If it's yes. to, I once had a Psalm tell me, like, no, you need to understand the way a restaurant works, you're renting a seat to a person, ideally yeah. for as little time as you can. Mm-hmm. Like, realistically, for as much money as you can, but the less time that you're renting that seat to them, the better. Yeah unless they're spending money. So it's that is the that is the equation you have to be running in your head mm-hmm. when you're working the floor. And exactly. I I got I got what he meant by that, but it was just so like I don't ever want to work that way. No. Uh, and you know, and he's like he was running through a list of some of the people he's poured wine for and they're people that like I would never want to have to like work in a service position uh, yeah. around like I, I wouldn't want to pour wine for some of the people that you know he's he has but um but yeah no that's a, like that that is a thing there there are restaurants you will go to that are supposed to be about like having this incredible experience where they are in their mind it's just about how much money they can make on you yeah yeah and, you know Someone involved has to mm-hmm. care about that experience. Like, you know, a chef probably or someone is doing something that makes people believe in that experience. But there are yeah. other people whose job it is to refine that to a money-making venture. And, yeah, yeah. it's very cynical, yeah. but, you know, it, it's a 